here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 106.2 FM in Table Mountain. 13 minutes after 12. So the person that had sent me this tweet and it tagged me on this really bizarre situation is Nompumele Lungwebu, who is a head chef and uh, she represents Bume's African cuisine. She's been around town for a long time and understands these things and how they work. So Mpume, thank you so much for coming into studio and joining us this afternoon. Thank you for inviting me. What, what sparked this bizarre interest in liver? Okay, so a family member... Um, found out last year during exams that they're running very low on iron. So I've been introducing a lot of greens and meat into his diet. So I sent him to the shops. I said, go and buy liver. Um, And I'll actually show you three or four different ways to prepare liver. Because I know once you have to eat the same things over and over again, you get bored with it. So when I came home later on in the evening and saw this ox liver i'm like what usa like it it didn't register i eventually took pictures and i started tweeting like what's going on why why am i getting liver from the u.s um and yeah and 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 it was interesting because (laughs) there was somebody who quickly responded and the person that responded to that was who is a managing director at foregone conclusions thank you so much for joining us this afternoon welcome to the show Thank you very much, Pamela. You you are really connected to the farming community. You do lots of workshops with people around farming and so on. And you responded with what looked a little bit like some insights. How much do you know about what's happening around why we don't see our own beef liver at the shops? I think I, I understand a fair amount of why, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, if, 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 if I can just give a background, maybe. I, I think we, 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 we downstream already when we're talking about uh, ox liver at the shop. Maybe, maybe we just need to understand a few things. Go ahead. If, you, if, if I own a cow, and when that cow gives birth, it can either give birth to a female calf or a male calf. If it's a male calf, it's, it's going to be a bull calf. So that calf at some point it will be castrated if it's not going to be used for breeding and it produces this thing we call the ox. Then that ox will go through this thing that people call the market, which means it moves from a farmer to a speculator or through an auction system and it ends up where it's going to be fed, if it's going to be fed, you know, the unnatural diet that everybody calls maize. So it will be fed and slaughtered. Now, the way the value chain is structured is such that, you know, this thing called the market, it starts with the feed lot that feeds the, the, the ox into a slaughter animal, and then it slaughters it, and it puts it through the system until me and you see the ox liver on the retail uh, space. But there's another avenue that meat come to the market. It's through small farmers or farmers who sell directly uh, to abattoirs and those abattoirs they slaughter the animals and then they produce the meat and meat is divided into two parts into two maybe one is the carcass that you see which is the red meat the other part is the offer 
Mm-hmm. Offal is either green or red, which means the stomach is separate from the liver and other red stuff inside the animal. So that red stuff is the stuff we see at the market. The green stuff, uh, which is the green offal, is sold through the abattoir. Now, the shortage, I think personally, it happens in South Africa because, you know, two things were. One is that in the moment you're going through a lot of drought, and every time there's a drought, farmers tend to slaughter their surplus animals right at the beginning of that because they anticipate that you know, won't have enough money to feed those animals. The second issue is that in September last year, the Department of Agriculture imposed a ban on the movement, on the auction and movement of live animals. So it means the animals that are held by the people who wanted to sell in December and even now, they cannot move from where they are to being slaughtered because no one is allowed to trade on live animals because of the FMD that happened in Zimbabwe. If I can point out that meat, uh, the meat we eat is not always South African. The South African feedlots, they take a lot of uh, small animals from countries like Botswana to feed here in South Africa. So those animals, they cross the border, they come here and then we feed to produce. The biggest challenge that we have as a country is the fact that we've got small communal farmers who hold large I mean, a large, large part of the South African national head, which is about 14 million cattle, those people are not considered to be commercial. They just considered to be communal farmers. Their animals come through the system to these people we call speculators who go to villages and buy animals uh, for the feed and, and resell them to the feedlots. So until we get to a point where we take Communal farmers, we integrate them into this thing we call the beef market. We're going to struggle. The second thing that we need, really, I think, uh, sometimes I tell people that I think the Department of Agriculture will led by people who have got absolutely no interest, you know, uh, in getting every farmer in this country, irrespective of the size, to be part of the beef market. We've got a problem here that has been speaking for a long, long, long time which we haven't addressed, which is the issue of traceability. Let's say the short the current shortage is because of the FMD in Limbabwe. Why should we close the whole country? Mm. Uh, because something happened in Limbabwe. In the Eastern Cape there's no food and mouth disease. There's lots of cattle there that can go to the market. But the people in the Department of Agriculture you know, have refused for a long time to put up a traceability system where I can attach an animal to the owner and I can look at it as it goes along the value chain. So until we address those things, we're going to have this problem of shortage. Let's talk about the ban that you've just resp- uh, spoken about uh, that was enforced in September as a result of the, the outbreak in Limpopo. I mean, what effect has that had on the industry as a whole? The foot and mouth disease, you know, uh, FMD is a viral disease, you know, so once we have an outbreak, we must respond immediately. And our response has always been 
you know, uh, we stop auctioning off animals and animal movement across boundaries. But I think what we ought to be doing, you know, if, if I can just share a parable with you, just imagine you and, and your friend are sitting next to a river and you see a, a child crying, you know, being struck by the river and you dive in and you save the kid. And then more kids, they come until your friend decides, no, no, no. He or she is going upstream to find out what the root cause of this thing is. Foot and mouth disease was uh, started in 2001, I think, in the UK, in Essex. But where that started, now they've got a traceability system uh, that makes sure that if there's an FMD, I identify the animal and the owner of that animal, even if it's animal that has been already slaughtered. But here, being the country that we are, we've dragged our feet in putting up a traceability system that allows us to do that. So every time we've got an SMG, we're going to be downstream trying to fiddle with the little things of closing, you know, borders and making sure that no trading of animals is happening. So it's going to be impacted, this industry, for a long time until we've got a traceability system in place. I want to bring into this conversation Agri Mahanjana, who is a managing director of the National Emergent Red Meat Producers Organization. Thank you so much for joining us, Agri. You've heard, obviously, uh, the story. It was quite elaborate. But I want to ask you, why do you think we have this problem of traceability in the country? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, ma'am and listeners. Uh, Just to touch a little bit from what... uh, the gentleman was trying to explain regarding the the shortage of liver uh, because I think the, 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 the what triggered the whole discussion before I come to foot and mouth is the issue of uh, the lady saw the liver in one of our chain stores. Yes, we do uh, import uh, some parts of the meat that has been just explained, especially liver. Uh, South Africans, they are very fond of liver and they like fresh liver. The majority are eating our fresh liver. However, ox liver. However, because we cannot satisfy the entire demand of our liver in our country, we have to import. Uh, The statistics that I have uh, from the Association of Meat Importers and Exporters. We import plus minus between 2,000, 2,000 to 3,000 tons of liver per month, especially during the past three years. And uh, that uh, 2,000, 3,000, between 2,000 to 3,000 tons of liver per month it's normally coming from U.S., Australia, New Zealand, and some parts of Europe. But uh, if the lady said there was a shortage, yes, of course, if there's a shortage, uh, there was a shortage also from the imports, and there was a shortage also from our local liver. The gentleman is quite right to say that uh, the sources from our local, uh, uh, what you call, supply, 
was caused mainly by the drought that we had during the course of the of the year in 2019 and uh, even today we we are still gonna have people are gonna see a little bit of increase in beef prices because there's already a shortage of sea grade meat which is more common in areas like Eastern Cape, uh, which is mostly used in areas uh, in provinces like Eastern Cape. So because there are no animals that are going through the, the system. However, also the ban, coming back now to your question, the ban, uh, just to correct the gentleman a little bit, it, it was not in September. The ban started on the 4th of uh, December. The ban also made a tremendous uh, influence, caused a tremendous influence within the industry of shortage of, of slaughter stock in particular to enter the, the market because, as he was saying, there were no animals that were going uh, towards the the market so we had uh, such a problem let, let me ask think, you let's let's go to the details of the drought and and talk about what exactly do we mean by the drought affecting these the supply of liver in particular not the animals but liver in particular so we did speak about the fact that these animals coming through would have been given feed so is it because there are no animals or is it because the quality of the liver coming through is substandard because of the kind of feed that they're being fed? No, no, no. no there is no, there is no such like the, the, our liver is substandard. Well, I, I, I mean, I, let me, hang on there. While, while I think you think this is quite humorous, I'm not sure if Mpumalelo, you think, do you think this is humorous or is this something that is quite plausible? I mean, the biggest concern for me, I'm hearing the gentleman mention everything, but not talking about um, the business that's been taken away from our farmers here in South Africa. We, uh, the gentleman before, Mpumelelo, mentioned that there are these farmers that they're not recognizing because they are small farmers, and yet they are our local farmers who have our proudly South African meat. But we have the U.S. here boasting how um, South Africa has taken up so much of their red meat um, and liver, um, and it grew. 2018, we were seeing a total of 7.8 metric tons down. They are complaining that it's down in 2018. So how much more have we been taking before that? And looking at the economy, I mean, 2019 was rough on all of us. So how is our government then not looking after our farmers to make sure we source from them locally, uh, rather than enriching us which is already wealthy so so Mpumalele, you, you heard what uh, agri was saying earlier I, I want you to respond to that i mean he, he says that it's quite laughable that i bring up the fact that the feed may not have been affecting the quality of the liver what's your response to that i i i think he is quite correct you know because um i mean if they they if, if you understand the way the south african beef industry is structured there's this group of farmers who are called commercial farmers. And you have the rest of the farmers then are called communal farmers. 
which means these are people who farm you know in villages and and shed uh, spaces the problem we have we've got the dead capital that sits with those farmers who are called communal farmers uh, that nobody ever talks about you know it gets integrated uh, into the beef value chain through speculators who actually buy as and when and of course I'm glad that Mr. Mahanjana touched on on this thing of grading of the meat. South Africa has got no grading system. It has got a classification system. The classification system is A to C. So uh, all the animals are classified as C grade. That That is supposed to, to be the good quality meat that you eat because those animals, it means they haven't been fed anything that is unnatural. And then this thing that is called an A is actually a calf that is fast fed with uh, yes. Uh, maize yes. and soya ration so that it grows faster. So it gets slaughtered before it's even 18 months. So that meat, you know, you struggle with the, with the taste because it, it's like eating meat from a calf. But but that's but the that's the, the meat I'm talking about. Isn't that in that instance you're just talking about how you struggle with that quality of that meat? What what happens to that liver? Well, those those, those I mean, um, now we've got to uh, to talk about something that is different, which is the stomach of uh, a, 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 I mean stomachs of cattle. Cattle are like goats, sheep, and horses and giraffes, they, they are ruminants, which means they've got, the, the cow has got a stomach, it has got four compartments. One compartment, which is called the rumen, it's a, it's a part of the stomach that is designed by nature to be able to process grass, take the cellulose out of grass and convert it into meat and fat. So, but, you know, wise people many years ago in the 40s came up with this thing that you could feed maize into uh, an an animal. I'm going to pause you there because we've got to go to the headlines, but I do want us to come back to that very point so that we can just elaborate exactly on what that effect uh, that maize has on the quality of the meat and so on. And then I do have somebody else who's representing African farmers to just give us their perspective of whether they are part of this beef industry and if not, why not? It is now 2.30. Let's go to Uzi Lesago for the latest in headlines. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105.2 FM in East London. Uh, so we continue our conversation. We're talking largely about a shortage of liver in South Africa, South African liver, and uh, the large imports that we're seeing coming through from various places, from the U.S., from Australia and other parts of Europe. I've got a, quite a, a number of guests here and we'll keep touching base with all of them. But before we went to the headlines, we were in conversation with Mpumelelo Nwati, who is a managing director of Foregone Conclusion. Just Mpumelelo, just continue from the point where you're, to, to, you're explaining to us what the effects of maize feed has on a cow, for instance? I think you were speaking, speaking specifically uh, about a cow. Thanks, Berman. As I was saying, the, the, the cattle have got this thing called a rumen, which is designed specifically to produce meat and fat out of uh, grass. In fact, ruminants are the only animals that can do that. 
Now, inside the rumen of an animal, there are microorganisms that are specific to the stomach, to that part of the stomach. They, they are used precisely for that to produce uh, meat and fat from cellulose. If you change the diet of an animal, you move an animal from grazing, grass, and you give it pap, you know, which is in the form of milk, uh, ration of milk. Those microorganisms, they tend to react differently. Imagine yourself, your stomach, when you eat curry. When those, when those microorganisms in the room, uh, they panic, uh, and you don't do anything, they, they, they might leave the stomach, and you find them on the blood screen where they're not supposed to be. Huh. If, they, if that happens, the liver is out is the only organism that is supposed to filter that and the only way you're going to see that rumen microorganism on the bloodstream you're going to see the liver with the abscesses and that is not fit for consumption so what the feedlot industry tend to do is add antibiotics onto the food of the of the animal so that uh, the, the the microorganisms in the stomach you know uh, don't respond negatively. They also do this thing called background, which means an animal before it's fed large quantities of the ration. It's actually backgrounded as a small animal. It's fed small quantities. The issue that I have, you know, with this kind of thing is that antibiotics are not supposed to be fed to animals that are healthy. But that's exactly what is happening. You can't feed maize and not feed antibiotics to those animals. So now you've got a totally different way of producing meat, you know, because you want this fast-paced production. You're feeding antibiotics with the maize that you feed to animals or whatever. Uh, so, and that is problematic. So is my question around the health of the liver, based on all that you've told me, a feasible, is it a, a plausible question? Ma'am, can I can yes. I can I yes, can I yes you can yes. come you can come in just in a second. I just want him to respond to this before you come in. I I think Camilla, you you correct. You know, uh, that will tell you that it's safe to eat uh, liver that comes from animals that are fed maize and antibiotics. Hmm. You know, uh, it, it, it 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 is correct depending on the quantity that is fed to an animal, but. As I said, it's unnatural to feed, you know, the stuff that we feed to our cattle. And in South Africa, it's even uh, concerning that we've got animals that eat grass that never find their way into the into the beef value chain uh, as a result of the system that we have. Uh, you can come in, uh, uh, Mr. Mahanjana. Uh, I just want to comment in this issue of uh, quality of liver. Obviously, uh, my take will be, uh, yes, I agree. The quality of imported liver from Australia, from America, from Europe will never be the same as the quality of liver that has been slaughtered from current beef or beef master here in South Africa. Quantify that for us. Which one is better and which one is not? Obviously, the the important liver cannot be better 
That liver stays for more than three months in oh, the in, on, 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 on the ocean, and uh, it's not as fresh as the liver, which has been slaughtered on Thursday. That's fine. And it's but on we, we, the plate on, respond, on, on, on Friday. That's fine. Respond to the quality of the liver here before we get to the liver that we are importing. You, you're talking. Well, yeah. I've never heard. Uh, that uh, the quality of our South African liver uh, is the first time uh, I will have to bring this to the industry. It's the first time to hear that uh, the quality of the South African liver is uh, sometimes doubtful. I agree with a gentleman which says, obviously, there might be some difference between uh, any, not only liver, any part of the meat which is coming from an intensive farming, that is from a feedlot, and the one which is coming from natural grazing. I'm sure even yourself, even if you are not a meat scientist, you would see an animal which has been grown out of the normal natural grass will have a yellow fat outside unlike the meat which has been grown from the feedlot which will be having a white fat yes those have got an effect unfortunately it seems that the majority or the sophisticated meat eaters in south africa they prefer the one with white fat rather than the one with yellow fat, that is why it's the one which mostly goes to restaurants and the high class, uh, high market, meat markets. And the yellow one is the one that we, as rural people, we really like it, we enjoy it from that sea grade and animals which has been grown from the grass. But uh, I, I never, I don't want really to make a comment uh, about uh, that uh, there's a, a quality of liver which is questionable. I'm not a meat scientist and uh, maybe the lady who is a chef might be having noticed something. But what I'm definitely knowing that the meat which is the liver which is important and the liver which is from South Africa, those are two different, will have two different tastes and even two different colors. It's interesting that you're now resorting to saying you're not a scientist and that you earlier found it quite uh, amusing when I brought the question up. Um, Pumelolo, you want to respond to that? Yes, go ahead. Pumelolo, there are two things. Yes. Uh, The the one thing about the yellow and white fat, uh, I'd like to correct Mr. Mahanja. He said the sophisticated people, which means the LSM 8 to 10 people, they eat meat with white fat. It's because of the system. I, I think people in that LSM, they understand, just like people in LSM too, you know, that yellow fat, meat with yellow fat is very good, actually very, very, very good for you because it has got all the amino acids. It comes back to a thing that is hidden in the back that I spoke about, which is called the grading system. For as long as you've got a classification system, rather than grading the quality of the meat, you would grading the color of the fat and the thickness of that fat using the classification, so you're going to have the problem. I'm sure the lady sitting with you understand this thing that I just said, that meat with yellow fat is very good for you. Mm. The second thing, Pamela, is this thing of the quantities of maize that are fed. 
our feeding regimes in South Africa are different from the feeding regimes in the U.S. So who in South Africa, when that liver is exported here, can tell you, you know, what the feeding regimes huh. were in the U.S. and that it is actually a safe? Because if I feed, let's say, two tons in South Africa to an animal, I feed whatever to animals, I feed a certain quantity. And then in the U.S. they feed uh, the very same animal, um, a different animal actually, a different ration. Let, let me let me let me point this thing perfectly for you. If you if you if you feed a bonsmara, uh, we feed bonsmara calves. Those calves will be ready around 75, 79 days. They're ready to be slaughtered. But if you're feeding an angus in the U.S., uh, you might be feeding that angus animal for over 100 days. So. Who can tell you that an animal that is fed for 100 days, the liver of an animal that is fed for 100 days in the mm. U.S. is the mm. same mm. as the animal that is fed for 79 days here? Pumela, do you want to respond to the quality of the liver? Um, I can tell you now the, lo- the liver that I cooked uh, from the retail store. By the way, it's not me who um, uh, said there's a shortage. It's the retail store yes. who responded and said, they do try and source locally, but when there's a shortage, then they go outside to some reliable suppliers. Yeah, right. um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, the biggest concern for me, the taste of that liver was awful. I was actually glad that it was the evening, and I was actually glad that I didn't go to the store and buy the liver because I wouldn't have brought it to the house. And, you know, but um, the taste was horrendous it was and then there was a small piece that and i sear my liver so i don't cook it long you know i just turn it salt and it was so hard the liver was so hard and i was like baffled like why it's tasteless and it's so hard mm-hmm. so 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 mr maharanja tell me why we have a problem with sourcing the produce from our local suppliers, the small guys that are not necessarily in this beef uh, market, so to speak. We were well educated by uh, Mr. Ngati. Why is it that we are not getting through this hurdle? Um, point number one, uh, the Mr. Ngati said uh, the communal farmers are not farming commercially. It means their animals are not going through the formal markets. They prefer to market their animals via the informal markets. Make no mistake, the informal markets are much more lucrative to them than formal. Uh, you heard him talking about uh, the yellow and the white and uh, fat. Uh, the price in the informal market is much more lucrative than the price of the formal market. Let alone that the immediately is because their numbers are low per individual. Uh, just imagine a person who's having five or seven cattle at home. I mean, that person, he says, two or one animal per annum. So he really doesn't need to go to a formal market. 
Yes, but my question, my question is a very simple one. Let me. I've got to rush you because of time. I, I sit in a in a suburbia, right? <clears throat> I sit in a city where I'm not surrounded by farmers close by. I do prefer the meat that comes from a local guy who's just got a small uh, farm and there there's cattle grazing there. The point here is that I would love the option to also get mm. meat that comes from him, even though I don't have to drive to him. So what he, I think, was alluding to was that the system is not open up enough to the small guy mm. to come in and be part of the supply chain. I agree with you 100%. So wh- however, what's, what's, what's the problem? Why can't we unblock the system? However, as much as I agree with you that the system is not open for the small guy, However, you must understand that it is the responsibility of the government to ensure meat safety to the public. It means the small guy, now you have got to make him to go via the formal. That animal has got to be slaughtered in a a formal uh, system, in a formal abattoir, slaughterhouse, uh, which becomes, in most cases, becomes risky to the small guy, because if I take my animal directly to the slaughterhouse, it might have a lot of other uh, issues which cannot be detected if I'm selling it directly to another informal guy. So you must understand the government have got to ensure that every meat which is eaten on a public platform, which is sold publicly, has got to go via a formal system, a system which is credible, a system which can ensure, give assurance to the consumers that this meat is meat that has been inspected, that is good. Well, if you are individual, you want to buy from that person, you can do it yourself on your own arrangement. But if that meat is going to be sold to the public, it must go via the system. Mr. Ngot, is that a plausible argument? Bemelo, Mr. Mahajana is correct. No, uh, uh, that meat that is sold to to the public uh, should go through the system that is determined by government and the South African meat industry company. My my problem is when he implies that meat that comes from cattle that are owned by communal farmers is unsafe mm. because we actually mm. eat the meat all the time. It's, 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 it comes through the, mm. the informal channel. Mm. I think what we need to address in this country is the way the system is structured. You know, when we liberalize the agricultural sector, we have opened a lot of holes, and people with uh, the advantage, they jumped into the gap where government wasn't paying attention. If I I can tell you, let's say at home we've got 15 animals and you would like to slaughter five animals. If I take my my five animals uh, uh, to a, a slaughterhouse, the people who are going to slaughter those things, those animals for me in that slaughterhouse, they're going to tell me, we, we want to come and fetch the animals ourselves. You've got to produce the records, you know, that these animals have been vaccinated for this and for that mm. and for that. Mm. That is the responsibility of the government extensions, which they are not doing. So you've got five animals. Somebody sends you a truck that takes 15 animals. I wouldn't want to take my five animals, put them on a truck that transports 15 animals to the slaughterhouse when I know that the transport cost is covered by me. Mm. Mm. So there's a whole lot of things that we need to address about this, the way the system is structured. The system 
is rigid. It has got absolutely no room for small people, you know, to be able to be part of the value chain and to be able to interact directly with the consumer. You know, if, if you go, for instance, in, 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 into the U.S., you've got people in America who have got small heads. Dr. Dick Cates in Wisconsin, for instance, I eat his meat when I'm in the U.S., he's got small numbers of dairy uh, cattle that he slaughters. And those animals, he meets all the requirements that are needed for him to slaughter in a slaughterhouse that is in Wisconsin, not in, um, that is in medicine in Wisconsin, as opposed to a slaughterhouse that sits in Colorado. So we can do the same here. We've got slaughterhouses that are local that mm-hmm. needs to meet a certain criteria. But they are able to slaughter for farmers that are local farmers, and those farmers are supported by extension officers to be able to meet the standards that are required for me to be sold publicly. That can be done. What is lacking is the political need. And, of course, this notion of fallacy of composition. The fallacy of composition is simply an illogical error that everybody commits, that if smallholder farmers followed exactly what the so-called commercial farmers are doing, mm. they go, they're going to come out the same. It's never going to happen. Uh, I don't understand why should people in Tata eat meat that comes from Bumalang when Tata has got an abattoir and OR Town has got some of the largest heads in this country of grass-fed animals. So we need to have a political will. We need to sit down and talk to each other. We need to address these particular things that Mr. Mahanjan is talking about in terms of food safety and in terms of uh, requirements of the value chain. One thing that sounds to me like we all agree on, Mr. Mahanjan, I hope you, I'm correct in saying this, is that we actually cannot for sure determine the safety of the liver that's coming from the U.S., for instance, right? It's a concern. What does that mean for all of us? Uh, Mr. Mahanjani, what are we going to do about that? I think I'm happy that you bring back to what I said. Uh, and I like what this lady uh, the lady said when you said that when she ate and tasted that meat, there is no taste. You eat like you are eating a rubber. It's exactly one of those issues. Yes, of course, I might be, uh, before that meat is, uh, is exported to South Africa, they are their own health inspectors and so on who have done it. But the issue here, just do this example yourself. Just take a liver yourself, fresh from your own cow. Put it in a, fr- in a freezer. Keep it for three months and check whether that liver will ever be the same. The issue here, South Africans are being given imported meat which has been sitting in the containers for three to six months in the ocean. Definitely that meat will never be the meat. It's, not the, it's, not, it's, it's not the only, the, re- the only reason is not because it's been sitting in the container for three months. There are other reasons as well why it may not be favorable. We don't know what it was fed. Well, I think Umpumelelo is, is, well, we know Umpumelelo is quite right. The feeding regime, the way they feed animals in U.S. is totally different the way that we feed animals in South Africa. I mean, uh, we have just been in China recently. Uh, they like that long to keep the animal in the feedlot for, for longer, sometimes up to nine months. 
whereas in our case, uh, three months is, is, is enough. So obviously, that feeding regime might affect the liver. But uh, uh, the, 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 the longer the meat stays, especially a fresh meat like liver, it will change the quality definitely in a freezer. Bumi, you want to respond to that? Um, yeah, I think we, we are avoiding just admitting the truth here. I, I'm a chef. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a farmer. I'm not whatever. But we know very well what these antibiotics that are being injected to the animals are doing to the quality of meat. That is one. But the second thing, I've actually brought a friend, Chloe, who is American, who had to move from eating meat to a plant-based diet because of the amount of allergies that she developed after the age of 30. She had been fine eating vegetarian and whatever not, um, but the, the structure of meat in the U.S. changed a lot. Obviously, whatever chemicals go into the, the food and whatever gets injected onto the animal. We know, we know this for sure. You travel to the U.S., the quality of meat is not like ours. We have better quality of meat. It tastes mm, better. Mm, it mm, looks mm. better. So for me, the biggest concern is while we are taking away from our farmers and our economy, we are also killing our people because now suddenly, being a chef, I have this son whom I have to feed more liver amongst other meats to try and inc increase his iron. And then I'm now faced with buying liver from the US. So I'm adding onto his shortage of iron other um, diseases or illnesses or, 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 or other things that are just now going to come up. And Chloe was sharing with me, she, she, she had to literally, I was like, you were just eating leaves and there's nothing else you, you could eat. So are we trying to get the South African public as sick as most of the U.S. public is? We know that for sure. Um, anyone wants to challenge that, we can meet and have a good, good, good chat about that. We know that. It's not just the, the weight, the diabetes, the diseases that are coming from the food, the meat. Let's take a quick call. Um, you're calling us from East London, Mvusekaya. Good afternoon to you. Hi. Hi, good afternoon to your, to your panel. Look, there are three things. Never in such a, a discussion take a view of any person who's uh, overseas trip has been funded by a foreign government or a foreign entity. Because those entities' interest is to uh, damage our public policy, to be acceptable to, to, to practices uh, that are coming from, from, from outside. I mean, a case in point is this issue of antibiotics. And, and there was a study that said these chemicals could be causing cancer, and we've never explored that. But the second point I want to come to is, I think both Mr. Mahanjana and Mr. Nwaji are skating around the question you asked. The only reason a, a communal farmers can sell to retail stores is because, one, they do not have appetite for that market. Two, they are not capable of selling. They are not willing to sell to that market. Government in the Eastern Cape, where I worked, uh, the Department of Rural Development, and Mr. Nwad was in the board of our Rural Development Agency, which part of the responsibilities it had was to finance these communal farmers. So the point was, some farmers are not willing, are, are missing out because they want to keep their livestock forever. 
and, and they're not, they don't want to sell it as winners. So we could put up a system, for instance, to say those that are getting livestock from government, they must channel that to, 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 to the feedlots that government is building. So a, 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 policy, a political will is there. Mm. I want to disagree with him on that, that mm. there's, no poli- there's no political will. What we need to do is to get the farmers to see, to appreciate the value of owning livestock and trading that livestock earlier when it is winners and not when it's owned. Thanks so much for that call. We need to wrap Thank it you. up. We need to wrap it up. Pumelelo, Mr. Ngati, do you want to just have a few last words? Uh, f- first, Pumelelo, uh, the one thing that I'd like to do when I get off this call is maybe send you an email uh, uh, with an article that was published by uh, Michael Pollan many years ago in the New York Times. It's called The Power Steer. It basically explains the whole route that a calf is a winner travels to becoming a steak on your plate. And he talks about all the antibiotics. I think pharmaceuticals that are fed to animals are, are a big business. Uh, nobody can get around it. And being a big business, they make, I mean, those people want to make sure that antibiotics are fed. I agree with the lady that, you know, uh, if an antibiotic that is fed to an animal is also used for me and you when you've got a, a particular sickness. Once the animal uh, develops resistance to that antibiotic, it means when you're sick and they inject you with the same antibiotic, it does nothing to you. It doesn't make you well. So animals, they, they develop resistance you know, to these antibiotics that are fed as food. You know? uh, I'm sure me and Busuikaya can have you know, a, lo- a, lo- a long discussion. Uh, it is correct that the Eastern Cape government is building feedlots. My take on this thing, you know, is not about building feedlots. It's more about getting the animals that eat grass to go to the market, mm-hmm. whichever route they take, to getting them. And I think education is very essential. You know, I, I speak to a lot of farmers. I know farmers who would want to sell their animals straight from the felt. Uh, but if you don't have a proper system for them to be able to put that meat on the on the retail, so that it can it's compa- it can compete with feedlot meat, then you're going to have a problem. So I don't know. <laughs> I really appreciate the time you've given us. Uh, we've run out of time. Um, Pumelelo Ngati, who is a managing director of Foregone Conclusion, joining us there. We also spoke to uh, Agri Mahanjana, who's a managing director of National Emergent Red Meat Producers. And my guest, who spurred this really interesting conversation, is Nompumelelo Ngwepu, who is a head chef. And uh, this conversation will be available as a podcast. I dare say this is definitely not the end of this conversation. It's three o'clock. After this, Mas Chabam Dolo with the focal point.